I know what you're thinking. Man, Eric, you look good today. Um, especially good. No, I am not Eric. I am Joel, Joel Williams. My wife and I are your missionary partners in Kenya. And what we do is we partner with First in making disciples that make disciples. We help the church unhindered disciple making. That's our team's mission and vision. And so uh, that's what we do. Uh, so I'm not Eric. I apologize ahead of time. But I'm excited to jump in with you. Let's, let's pray as we delve into God's word. Father God, we want to hear from you. Lord, it's our prayer that as you join us in this place, that your spirit will teach us. That you will meet us where we are. God, if... If there are things in my notes that are not of you this morning, I pray you take them away so that we may hear from you and be the church where we live, work, and play. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. So if you're anything like me, when you saw that our verse this morning is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this, the smoke started to fill the room. The, your eyelids started to get a little heavy and maybe you started to check out already. Because uh, we've all heard this verse hundreds if not thousands of times. You tracking with me? Is it true? We've, we've all heard this taught, and so we start to check out because it's like, I've heard this before. How could there possibly be anything new? So I pray that you'll bear with me as we, we look at this in a little bit of a different way this morning. I, I want to, to delve into this and, and to really hear what the Spirit is, is saying to us. And so as we look at this, what I, I want us to remember if we forget everything else, Matthew is, is saying something to us, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, we are the church. I know if you've already read it, you're thinking, it doesn't say that. That's not in there. Just Trust me, uh, he's going to get to the point. It, he says, we are the church. So I, I'm going to invite you to help me this morning as we hear from the Spirit. I know this is a little unorthodox. That's right. My name is Joel, but you can also call me your worst nightmare. I am a, a, a guest speaker who is going to demand a little class participation. And so as we do this this morning... I want to invite you, I'm going to say throughout the message, I'm going to say church, and I'd like you to respond with me, we are the church. You with me? Let's, let's rehearse that for just a second. Church. Church. Yes, we are. Let's look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Matthew starts and says, then Jesus came to them, that's the disciples, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, say it with me, go and make, say it with me, disciples of all nations, 
Say it with me. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And say it with me. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. I don't know who Shirley is, but he loved her. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Surely he will be with us to the very end of the age. Church. Church. Just testing you. As we look at, look at this verse this morning, we're going to have four movements, okay, four movements. You can say them, repeat them after me as I, as I rehearse them for you. So first we're going to look at go. Go. Then we're going to look at imitate. Imitate. And then we're going to look at weird. Weird. And lastly, we're going to look at lukewarm. Lukewarm. So one more time. Go. Imitate. Weird. Lukewarm. Church. Let's jump in. In order to understand Matthew 28, 18 through 20, in the way that Matthew meant it, in the way that Jesus meant it as he stood there, we're going to have to look at some, some historical background for just a second. And here, here's the thing. When I say that, I mean we got to start at the beginning. And yes, I mean the beginning. Uh, in the beginning, God created, Genesis 1-1, right? But what we have to understand, and we gather this from John 1, that Jesus was there in the beginning. He was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So we have to understand that Jesus was there in the beginning. This moment that we're reading right now in, in verse 18 is a moment that's 3,000 years in the making. Jesus was there in the beginning. And when he was there, they created the heavens and the earth. He, God, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth, and they created it good. But they created man in their image and created them very good. And then we know how the story goes. Man fell They lived in relationship together, and then man fell and broke that relationship. God and man could no longer dwell together. The rest of the Bible is the story of God trying to restore creation to what he created it to be. You tracking with me? He's trying to restore this relationship between God and man. Fast forward a few thousand years, and we have Jesus standing here in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, with his 12 disciples in relationship with them and inviting them into his ministry. This is a moment, in order to understand this passage, we have to understand that this is a moment This is a moment in history that is what all history was building up to to that point. Jesus isn't just standing there with his best friends. I'd like to think they were some of his best friends. But this is the pinnacle of history at this point. Not only that, a little bit more historical background for us. Jesus, God, had to come and be born first. 
and be, be born a man and, and walk with us and talk with us, learn to walk, learn to talk. We oftentimes forget that, that before Jesus gets to this moment, he had to live a lot of the same moments that you and I have lived. He had to learn to walk, learn to talk. Mary had to change Jesus' diapers. Even Jesus pooped. You can write that down. Right? All of this happened before we got to this moment. Jesus had to live and grow up. He wasn't born a 30-something-year-old who started a very successful disciple-making ministry. There was build-up. There was preparation for him. Can we stop for just a second and reflect on a really cool piece of background here? Think about this with me for a moment. This is something that I was, as I was reading this this week, that really hit me. This idea that when Jesus became flesh, he was born, God entrusted us to raise his son. Are you tracking with me? That God had so much faith in humanity that he trusted us with his son to raise him. I don't know about you. I don't know that I have that much faith in humanity. I know I'm messing up my kids, (laughs) right? But God trusted us with his son. Church? Church? God had immense faith in us when he did that. Think about what the infant mortality rate was at that time. God had immense, immense faith in his creation. So Jesus now, he's born, he grows up, and he starts a ministry. What's the first thing he does when he starts his ministry? He turns water into wine. You're right. He's like, my first order of business is I'm going to keep the party pumping. No. Oh, come on. That was funny. But he chooses his disciples. He goes on with his 12 disciples, and he lives with them. He walks with them. He talks with them. He teaches as they watch. He has them teach. He sends them out. They spend lots of times around the fireplace as they camped out everywhere they went. They, he, he performed miracles. He taught in people's homes. They took boat rides and they fished together. All of these things are, are built up for this moment. They've spent a lot of time together building up to this moment. Now, as we dive into this verse, here's the deal. This first movement, go. We're, we're, gonna, we're pulling this verse apart. The, the rest of the movements are going to help us look at what, how the church responded to this moment. Okay, It's going gonna, it's gonna to help us look at uh, if this is true, if what Matthew is saying here is true, then how did the church respond? What do we do next? Okay, But as we're sitting here looking at Matthew 18, or 28, 18 through 20, there's a few things we have to look at. So Jesus says go. A lot of times we've heard that there are three commands in this passage and one promise. And I got to tell you that's not true. In the Greek language, this word that Jesus used, go, is actually in the, the passive perfect. And let me tell you what that means because I didn't know. I had to look it up. Um, but the passive perfect, it means it would be better translated as as you're going. 
right, throughout your day. Fun piece of historical background for us. How many of the people that Jesus chose as disciples were pastors, preachers, teachers, evangelists when they started? Zero. You tracking with me? Zero. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. Some, you know, his family was following. Some were, were carpenters. We know James ends up becoming one of the leaders in the church, his, his half-brother James, right? So these were everyday people. So Jesus is telling them as you're going, throughout your day, it's everyday people like you and me, we continue with the first command we get, which is make. Disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. We can talk a lot about what a disciple is, but it's a student. It's someone who devotes themselves or pledges themselves to a specific teacher. Jesus invited the disciples to be his disciples, to devote themselves to him and to learn from him. Continues on, and now we have baptizing them and teaching them to obey. Again, both of these are in the passive perfect. So as you're going, as you're making disciples, now this is how you make disciples. This is what it means to make disciples. You, you are going to be baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. That's what it means to make disciples. We're going to be doing those two things. There's a lot that can be said here, but what I will say on baptizing is this important piece that the word used here in the Greek is baptismo, okay, baptismo. And I'm not going to get into the age-old debate, the centuries-old debate over dunking or sprinkling uh, when it comes to baptism. That's someone else's cow pie to step in. But what's important here is baptismo in the first and second century, something a lot of people don't realize, this word was used, it did mean dunking, but this word was often used when they were referring to pickling something. Okay, they would put things in vinegar and, and other spices. Baptismo, you were going to take the cucumber and put it in the mixture, and when it comes out, it's going to be a pickle. Baptismo, transformation. The idea that, that as you disciple someone to be followers, to be pledged to Jesus, to be followers of Jesus, we should see transformation. Going in one way coming out another, becoming new, transformation. And that happens through our obedience to Scripture. And the second, the second uh, command that we do receive in this Scripture, which is behold. Jesus says, and in my version it says, and surely I'm with you always. It's better translated. Some translations have it. It says, and Behold, it's a command. Pay attention. I like to think that Jesus' disciples were trailing off. They too had heard this so many times they were starting to fall asleep. And he had to wake them up. Behold, he said, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This idea of abiding with Jesus. 
There's lots of ways we can abide. Jesus escaped, went off to to be alone, to to pray, to be tempted, to uh, be alone in his thoughts. He escaped with a few of his disciples too. He had the one, he had the three, he had the 12. Uh, Jesus had practices of abiding. We don't have time to get into that today, but... Uh, just know this, this scripture commands us to behold that Jesus will be with us. So we do need to ask the question, what does it mean for us to abide, to dwell with him, to live in the knowledge that Jesus is with us? So we have go. Now, as we look at what the ch- how the church responds in this moment, this monumentous moment, we have to look or remember one other piece of background. Jesus isn't naming random things here as he's giving his disciples the reins, right? These aren't random thoughts. These are the things that Jesus had just spent three years doing with them. So he's saying, essentially, go do what I have done for you. Church, church. Jesus is handing over the keys. He's giving this commission. Go do what I have done for you. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. In Philippians 2, 1 through 11, Paul puts it this way. He says, and Paul wasn't even with Jesus as his disciple, but he still gets this thought. He says, If you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves." Each of you should not look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Imitate. John 13, 1 through 20, put it this way. Jesus said, Jesus said if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. Go do what I have done for you. One more example from Paul we find in in 2 Corinthians 5, 2, or, yeah, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21, Paul says it, says it this way. He, he, he paints this same moment in Matthew 28, and he says it this way. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is from God who... who uh, who had reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to use the message of uh, reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
Church, church, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who was no sin to be sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus' followers, after this monumentous moment, uh, monumental moment in, in Matthew 28, understood this. He was calling them to imitate him. I grew up watching movies. I'm a big movie fan. Anyone big movie fans? Uh, and I, I loved doing imitations when I was younger. My dad actually got really mad at us that I think this started my love for imitation. There was one time my brother was imitating a movie and he said something uh, bad and my dad was like, don't you know any better? Never imitate movies. And it, it was stuck. We we're like, oh, that's, that's my new identity. No, but we loved imitating movies. <clears throat> Can I rehearse some imitations for you? I'll start with one that is for the older generation. If you know it, shout it out, okay? If you know it, feel free to shout it out. <clears throat> because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if, if you don't put up with this, I won't read any more of this. Did we hear it? Say it louder. That's right, Sean Connery, right? No, 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 no. We named the dog Indiana, right? Uh, money penny, is that all he pays you for? So, Sean Connery, right? Not, not bad, thank you, thank you. Uh, here's another one, a little bit more universal. <clears throat> Something like, uh, <clears throat> do or do not, there is no try. Mm -hmm. Yeah? No? Or, raggy. Who knew that, that Scooby-Doo sounded so much like Yoda? Imitation. The thing about imitation, as we, as the body of Christ, lean into going and doing what Jesus has done for us, is that if we're doing a good imitation, people recognize who we're doing an imitation of. Are you tracking with me? If the imitation is good, it can be recognized. So we have go, imitate, and we have weird. This is, this is the, the, the strange dynamic here, the, the weird moment. And we find this in Scripture in a couple different places, but let's explore it for just a moment. Uh, the thing about imitation, right? If you're doing a good imitation, then people will recognize you. Well, I, I think that there's times in our church, there's a culture in our church where sometimes we look at people who are imitating Christ and we say, whoa, that person is so weird, so out of the ordinary. Maybe you might say radical. They're a radical Christian. We can all think of the people that we're thinking of in that moment, right? They're so weird. They're so radical. I, I could never, in other words, we're saying I could never do what they do. But the question is, is that if they're imitating Jesus and we think they are weird, then who are we doing an imitation of? Because if we're doing an imitation of the same person, it should look and sound a lot alike. Are you tracking with me? Church? Church? 
Here's another, another way to look at this weird dynamic. Imagine with me, if you will, <clears throat> that I, I woke up one morning, I go down to have my breakfast. I don't know why I said I go down to have my breakfast. We don't have stairs in our house. Um, <laughs> but uh, so I go down to have my breakfast, and I'm, I'm eating with my wife, Rachel, and we have three kiddos. And, and, and Rachel says to me, hey, Joel, uh, don't forget I'm working late today, so I'm not going to be able to pick up the kids. You're picking the kids up from school. Say, so, okay, check, got it. And then, and then she says, not only that, I haven't prepared dinner, so you, you got to make dinner. Okay, make dinner, got it, check. And then she says, not only that, but we're out of milk, so make sure to pick up milk. Okay, milk, got it, check. We go throughout our day. We get back home at the end of the night, and we're laying in our bed, and we're recapping the day. Oh, how was your day today? Oh, my day was great. How was your day? Oh, fantastic. And she says to me, how, how were the kids? I said, I think they're great. And she says, wait, you think they're great? What do you mean? And I said, I said what do you mean, what do I mean? What do you mean? And she says to me, well, didn't you pick them up from school? Don't you remember what I said to you before we left uh, home today? I said, absolutely. I remember exactly what you said. You said, Joel, I'm working late today, so don't forget you're picking up the kids. And not only that, but uh, you're picking up the kids, and I haven't prepared supper, so you're making dinner, right? Check. Got it. And not only that, but we're out of milk, so make sure to pick up milk. I remembered all of it, but not only that, babe, when after I memorized it, I went to work and I taught my coworkers, Joe and Eric, to memorize it as well. And, and so they, they all know the list you gave as well. And she, she says to me, but none of the three of you did it. Where are the kids? <laughs> right? Divorce, separation, blues. Hey, right? Who, we... This dynamic of, uh, that the church sometimes has of spending a lot of time coming together and memorizing scripture and, and, and making sure that we've devoted it to our memory and, and teaching other people to do the same thing but never living out the commands that we've been given is something that is weird. It's out of the ordinary. It doesn't work anywhere else in our culture in any other piece. Are you tracking with me? Church. If we were at work, we'd be fired. If we were uh, in, a, in a marriage relationship, there would be counseling, right? This idea, this, this strange uh, weirdness within the church. You see, Mark spends all of chapter 2 telling stories of, of Jesus who's, who's confronting the teachers of the law who are teaching one thing but doing something else. I'm not going to read all of Mark 2 for you. I encourage you to go do that. Even James, in his, in his letter to the church, he, he tells us, encourages us as the church. He says, don't just listen to God's word, but do what it says. It is weird that we spend a lot of time memorizing and not doing. That's something that doesn't work anywhere else in our worlds. Church, yes, we are. We have go, imitate, weird, and now we have hot, 
or cold or otherwise, say it with me, lukewarm. Right? Lukewarm. You see, this, this dynamic in the church is not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus knew it was coming. If you're taking notes, you want another example. We're about to look at one example. You want another example. You can write down Matthew 7, 21 through 23. But Revelation, in Revelation 3, 14 through 22, we have this letter to the church. And, and Jesus is, is talking here through John. And this is what he says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea. Right. Okay? This is really important that we understand who uh, Jesus is talking to here. He's talking to the church. If you're anything like me, you've heard this verse preached where uh, where. It's said that Jesus is knocking at the heart of non-Christians, knocking at the door of the heart of non-Christians and saying, hey, let me in and and, uh, I will make you new. But that's not what this verse says. According to verse 14, it says that he's talking to the church. So everything coming from uh, here from then down is talking to the church. And this is what Jesus says to his church. He says, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true Witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are, say it with me, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need anything. But you don't realize church, church, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch. Harsh words from Jesus to his church. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Church, those whom Jesus loves, he rebukes and disciplines. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and him with me. Let's not forget that... In this moment, the imagery that's being given to us is that Jesus is standing at the door of a church. He's outside. The church thinks that they're in there and worshiping him and fellowshipping him. But he's saying there's going to come a time, church, where, where we've lost the way, where you're not abiding in me, where you're in there and you think you have everything. But in reality, I'm outside and I'm knocking and I'm begging you to open the door. Let me rebuke you. Let me show you what you're missing. Church, we might be lukewarm, but the encouragement is that Jesus still loves us. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke. So that's not the end for us, but it is a warning. This didn't catch Jesus off guard. He knew it was coming, and he gave us a way to turn back. He gave us, he gave us the warnings to say, there's going to come a time where this is happening. This is what you lean on. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Church, God put his faith in us again. Not only did he have so much faith in us that he, he allowed us to raise his son, he, he put a, his faith in us again and he, he gave us his ministry. We are his plan, B, plan A, we're not his plan B, sorry. He, we are his plan A and there is no plan B. He had immense faith in you to go and make disciples of all nations, to, to baptize them, see transformation in their lives, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded them and to abide in his presence in our lives. God had faith in us. I want to share, look at this in a little bit different way as we close today. I've got one more story for us. When I was younger, I loved to bake, okay, because I love sweet things. And so I, I loved to bake. And I was probably like eight, nine years old when this happened. And I went into my mom's kitchen. And I don't know if any of your moms had the same thing. But my mom had this little metal tin that sat up on top of the refrigerator where she kept all of her recipes. So I went into the kitchen and I pulled a chair over and I climbed up on the chair and I got my mom's metal tin down and I went through the recipes and I pulled out the recipe for uh, peanut butter cookies. Because at that time, I was young and immature, and I still loved peanut butter cookies. I didn't know yet that chocolate chip cookies were the way, the truth, and the life. But, no, I, I, I got this bowl out, and I, I put all the ingredients in, and I mixed them up, and I, I followed the recipe to a tea. And I made myself some, some peanut butter cookies. I even got the fork out. Any of you tracking with me? And I put the perfect little fork marks in it that you, you put in, in uh, the, the peanut butter cookies. And I baked them perfect, golden brown, but still gooey. And I pulled those babies out of the oven. And I put them up on the oven. My oldest brother walks in and he goes, ooh, peanut butter cookies. He grabs a peanut butter cookie. He doesn't, he, he's not a sissy, so he doesn't just take a bite. He throws the whole thing in his mouth, starts chomping down. Spits it all over the kitchen. These babies looked perfect. But as I was making them, I had I'd gotten this big plastic container that my mom kept in the kitchen that had this white granulated uh, substance in it. And I pulled it out and I put two and a half cups in, just like the recipe said. And because I, I didn't know then what you already know now, that wasn't sugar, it was salt. Those, those babies had two and a half cups of salt in them. And he spit them out of his mouth. So the real question today is, are we salty cookies? You tracking with me? Church? Yes, we are. And if, if we're salty cookies, we don't have to be. Jesus gave us, he gave us the blueprint to, to be discipled by him and make disciples, to go and do what he has done for us. We look at his life, we see what he did with his people, and we emulate that in our own lives. We don't have to be salty cookies. If we're supposed to be peanut butter cookies, then we should taste like peanut butter cookies. Are you tracking with me? Church, yes, you are. And God entrusted his ministry to you. He had so much faith in you that he gave you 
his plan for creation, his restorative plan to bring people into the fold. So I wanna encourage you two things. As you leave here, I want you to consider stepping into being discipled by someone who's more mature than you in the faith and to step into starting to try to make disciples. I am super sure that the pastors here at first would be more than happy to field 60 different questions about how do I step into making disciples here at first? They'd love that. And the second is to read the New Testament through this lens of imitating Jesus. Church, yes, you are. So let's go be the church where we live, live, work, and play. Let's pray. Father God, we love you because you loved us first. Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for his example for all that he demonstrated for us in this place, for all that he showed us how to do. God, I I pray that as we go, you will empower us. Lord, let us not just hear the word of God, but do what it says. It's in your powerful, blessed name we pray. All God's people said,